From SGI USA, I'm Cassidy Bradford, and this is Buddhability, a weekly series where I talk with Buddhists from all walks of life about the power we each have to change our lives and the world around us. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming. I hope that you've all been able to welcome 2024 with some fresh goals that you're already working toward. I know when it comes to goals or resolutions, though, how many of us set truly scary goals? I'm sure we all have some dreams or things that we'd really love to happen, but have become resigned to the fact that they just won't. So why even try? Every time we sit down to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo about anything in our life, we're battling our self-doubt. Instead of totally giving in to our negativity, we make a cause to make an impossible goal possible. Even if you don't believe that it's possible in that moment, you're still making the cause that maybe it just might be possible. The path to accomplishing unfathomable things can be long, though. That's why we have this Buddhist community. When we connect, we listen to how other people turned things that they thought were truly inconceivable into a reality. I can't count the number of times I listened to someone's story and thought, wow, if they can do it, that means it's actually possible. So maybe I can do it too. So today's episode is going to be perfect for you if you have some impossible dreams about living the life you want, healing strained relationships, loved ones becoming happy, and even developing deeper bonds with loved ones who have passed. I really hope that today's episode will help you summon up the courage to challenge whatever feels impossible in your life. This week's guest, Heidi Hayashi of Stratford, Connecticut, shares how she finally learned to listen to her heart and become a person of limitless courage, compassion, and wisdom. I'm Heidi Hayashi, living in Stratford, Connecticut. I currently work for an IT company as a Japanese translator, and I'm now 29 years old. Thank you so much for joining us. To get started, I know that your family started practicing Buddhism before you were born, so I'm wondering if you can share just a little bit about that and like what your life was like growing up. So um, my mother is from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and my father is from Japan. And my parents met in New York. Uh, My father was in U.S., came from Japan for graduate school. And after he finished school, my parents met in New York. My mother encountered this Buddhism in New York, I would say in 1970s way before I was born. Uh, She was introduced to this practice from her friend. So she continued her practice ever since then. My parents met in New York and uh, right after they got married, my father was transferred to Japan for his work, which was a surprise, especially for my mother. They moved to Japan and I was born. So I grew up in Tokyo, Japan all the way up to college. I always remember growing up, we went to many uh, Buddhism meetings or many activities. Yeah, even since I have memory, (laughs) since I was a baby. But I didn't really know the meaning uh, or why my mother was practicing. And that really changed when I was 12 years old. 
my mother suddenly passed away、uh, due to a medical accident. No one expected that to happen. And especially for me, I love my mother so much. You know, wherever she g o I always followed her. You know, she was like a sunshine for me. It was like everything completely became dark suddenly, you know, so it was very difficult. I can't imagine losing a parent at such a young age and also like very suddenly and unexpectedly. I mean, what was it like in your household after she passed away? After my mother passed away, for me, the most difficult time actually started. You know, everyone was shocked, including my father, my older brother. And shortly after my mother passed away, my father's side grandmother moved in to, you know, really help out everything at home.、Uh, but everyone was really filled with, you know, despair and also a lot of, you know, anger. So we had like a never ending medical lawsuit. With the hospital where my mother passed away, actually. In Japan, the hospital and doctor is very much protected, so it was pretty much thought as impossible to even you know, go in a good direction in the medical lawsuit. So it didn't end for many years, and that put us on you know, the financial difficulty too. And also, my father, after working so hard at his job, and then to add to that, this big shock, you know, that、uh, my mother passed away suddenly. My father developed severe health p r o b l e m in his heart. So he had two open heart surgeries, just one after another, so many, you know, obstacles. And for me, it was just. So difficult to be at home, especially, you know, just the environment was not a place where, you know, I could relax or, you know, be safe. And yeah, it was a tiny apartment in Tokyo. I share my own room with my grandmother up until I, I graduated college, actually. So, you know, I didn't have my own space to even cry when I wanted to cry. And then my grandmother was very strict and strongly opposed to my Buddhist practice, actually. So there were many days I, I just wanted to run away. Yeah, that was, you know, my middle school, high school, the most difficult time for me, I would say, in my lifetime. It sounds like there were so many things happening all at the same time when you're. In the confines of a small space together, there's just like you're saying, there's no way to like retreat and living, sharing a bedroom with your grandmother who's opposing your Buddhist practice sounds quite difficult. What was your relationship like with your dad? Yeah, after my mother passed away, for him, anger was just filled in him, you know, every single day. So, Even having a conversation with him was not an easy thing to do. It was more like just listening to what my father has to say. You know, most of the time it was his visions or expectation toward me, which was a very high standard. 
I needed to get into a great school and great company and he defined what is a success or the best way to live your life. So yeah, most of the time I just felt like I needed to listen to my father. I felt like it was not possible to have actual like both way conversation. Yeah, that made me feel more difficult to have actual dialogue uh, with my father, you know, or he, he will become like defensive. So it was just never easy because especially because my mother was a very different type of person, you know, like very caring First, she will listen and embracing. It was just a sudden change, you know, at home. There was no one I felt like I could just open up or even share what happened at school. Having so many, like, harsh expectations. Like, I know your grandmother also had these very high expectations. It must have felt like so much pressure. And to feel that pressure and also, like, grieving your mom I'm sure like I can imagine feeling very hopeless like just kind of trapped (laughs) and like okay this is just my life and you know I'm gonna just keep moving forward how did you get through that period of your life it was just so difficult you know even each single day in the beginning you know like putting on school uniform and go to school Talking about being strict, my grandmother, if I didn't finish lunch, you know, a long lecture would start. (laughs) Or like, if I don't clean, wash my lunch box right away, you know, like she would start like an hour lecture. Yeah, so definitely a big change from, you know, like how my mother was. So every single day it was so difficult, but there was a one Buddhist friend. She was like a big sister for me. Uh, She knew my mother too. Ever since my mother passed away, she continuously cared about me. Every single day, she made sure that, you know, I was doing okay and that I don't lose hope. Yeah, every single day. Sometimes I was not okay. (laughs) You know, that environment at home was just too much, too intense, you know, I couldn't take it or I I wouldn't have enough courage to, you know, go home actually. So those times, you know, sh- she will be, Heidi, just come to my place. We're going to chant together to have enough courage to be able to go home to, you know, see the reality. Or we, we will, you know, read a book from my mentor, Daisaku Ikeda, for youth. I read that so many times and chanted Namyo Horenge Kyo with that Buddhist friend. Yeah, so because of her, I'm here today. I really think that if she was not there to, you know, remind me that there is hope that, you know, I don't have to be stuck in black hole. <laughs> you know, I, probably maybe I just run away from home. I really think so. Yeah, I'm forever grateful to her. And then even after I moved to US, we are still in touch. And recently I learned now that I'm about her age at that time, I really think like how she could do that. 
why she could support me so much. So I actually asked her and she said that she could do it because she was also supported by Buddhist community from, you know, other friends when she was going through difficult times. Also, you know, she felt a mission to pass on my mother's conviction in this hope for Heidi <laughs> to, you know, be strong and to be able to live her life with hope and with this Buddhist practice, meaning, you know, never lose hope and continue to move forward. Wow, that is really amazing. Especially for people that are not a part of this Buddhist community or have that kind of community in their lives. It's almost like unthinkable <laughs> to have this kind of like dedication to caring for other people. And it doesn't mean like when you care for others, you're just like throwing everything into them and not caring for yourself. But like, I think we really learn through experience how impactful being supported by one person is somebody that will like really believe in you no matter what. Then we also learn the joy of being able to support someone else. And it's like a skill that we build to, you know, we don't always know how to support other people right away or, you know, accept support from others. But when we build that skill, it becomes like so powerful. So you mentioned that you would read together. Were there any particular like things that you read or like Buddhist concepts that really encouraged you at the time? Yeah. So there were a couple things, but the biggest thing which really struck me I think when I was in high school and I kept reading was that my mentor Daisaku Ikeda writes about struggles. He says that those who experience the greatest suffering will come to attain the greatest happiness. The greater our problem or sorrow, the greater the happiness we can change it into. This is the power of chanting Namyo Horenge Kyo. I felt like he was talking about me because I thought that at least in my school, probably I'm going through the greatest suffering. I was confident that like no one else was facing this, you know, huge obstacle. And at the same time, it was so difficult to actually think that, you know, someday I will feel happy because for me, you know, the environment and how I was feeling was not close at all to that. But that really opened my eyes. Oh, okay, because of this, I can really change this. You know, I don't know how and I don't know how long it will take, but I'm gonna continue to chant Nami Horenge Kyo and not lose hope. So that really, really gave me hope toward the future. Wow. Yeah. When I was younger and I'm the kind of person that has really like roller coaster emotions, not so much anymore, but when I was young, like really intense. And so I remember studying similar kind of works from Daisaku Ikeda and 
feeling like, okay, because I'm so miserable right now, like I really deserve to become the happiest. Even though like I didn't always believe it, like having that in my mind when I chanted helped me like bring out this kind of determination. So I love that you shared that. I think it's especially for anybody listening that feels like there's absolutely nobody else in my family, my workplace, my school that is suffering as much as me right now. (laughs) I hope that, you know, they hear this and they're like, okay, I deserve to become the happiest. I don't know how, but I do. So I know that, you know, you were being supported by your big sister and, you know, attending Buddhist activities and chanting, but the the struggles were not quite over because I know you worked very hard in college and I imagine be very stressful. So maybe you could just share a little bit about that time in your life. Ever since I was like fourth grade, I had to stop all after-school activities and just prepare for entrance exams, you know, all the way up to when I got into college. Yeah, that was just so difficult because school grade was defining myself. That's how I felt. If I was not doing well, oh, I'm gonna fail in my life. I didn't do that well. That's what at least I felt because it was not matching my father or my grandmother's expectation, always, you know, I felt like I'm not good enough. It was just always constant battle inside me, but I could somehow get into the top university in Japan, which was good thing. And I could get into, you know, a bank in Japan, which people will think, oh, good. (laughs) that's that you are doing good most importantly you know my father seemed to be happy with that so (laughs) (laughs) you finally achieved the expectations but a new nightmare started (laughs) actually (laughs) so the department i joined you know in the bank had a very difficult environment uh i was the youngest so pretty much everyone will dump everything to me And in addition, there were extra work, which probably wouldn't be my work. There were just so many things unexpected. But of course, I just did my best. I felt like I just have to serve others in that environment. So I could only sleep like three hours a night and just kept torturing myself to, you know, keep pushing myself but after about one year i i couldn't keep pushing myself anymore because with so much stress and anxiety and exhaustion i started to not be able to eat or sleep or most importantly i couldn't smile which i was not aware but other people will notice right away like heidi's not smiling anymore That was a nightmare for me, (laughs) yes. But then joining, you know, Buddhist meetings was always my source of joy, always I love to do. But the Buddhist friend, the the big sister, she, she saw me. Something is not right with Heidi. She's not even smiling. Yeah, she asked me like, please talk to this person who was practicing, you know, this Buddhism for many years and who knew me from a long time ago. 
So I went to talk with the person and he asked me how I'm doing and I just explained how things have been. But I was just in tears. Like, I'm doing my best. I'm doing everything I can. But just in tears. And he said, What are you doing your best for? For what purpose? And I didn't have any words. I didn't have any answer. From that point, I went home and started to chant with an open question What is my purpose for, you know, doing my best every day? And how do I really want to live my life? I feel like your experience will resonate with so many people feeling like, okay, I've, I've done all of the things. I did well in school. I did everything that people said to do, but still I feel like empty or why am I doing this? And so you sharing that, I think will just, yeah, really connect with many people. This kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah. For what purpose am I doing all of this? Or maybe they're already asking that question, but like having difficulty finding the answer. (laughs) What is the purpose? So as you were chanting about that, what happened? I think it was like a journey of discovering what I really want. Any small or big desire which is inside me, regardless of what other people around me tells me or saying, yeah, we like dig into what was anything I was hoping for. I realized that ever since my mother passed away, I had a strong desire. I want to go to US, even college, if possible, I wanted to go to US, but it didn't happen because of the family situation, financial situation. So I was so used to like oppressing any desire I had and always put other family members' needs or expectations, anything I had to do for other people as a priority, not what I want to do. That's what I realized. Another Buddhist friend told me that, Heidi, it's your life. It's not your father's life. It's not someone else's life. Your father is not living your life. Heidi, it's your life. Actually, in a long term, even your father will be happy if, Heidi, you are living your life to the fullest and, you know, can say that I'm happy and I'm enjoying my life. Yeah, that opened up my eyes too. Oh, I never felt that way actually. That was kind of like a new starting point. Like, okay, this is my life, but then how do I really want to live my life? When I was chanting that way, what I was always thinking was, what was my mission? Because everyone has a mission. There must be a reason I'm here at this time. And one passage from Daisaku Ikeda, I I read this many times. So he says, each of us, no matter what hardships we may face or what circumstances we may find ourselves in, has a noble mission that only we can fulfill. Uh, So 
each person has different mission and unique mission. So, you know, I wanted to fulfill my mission. I started to chant in that way. Yeah, what is my mission and how do I really want to live my life? It's such a empowering aspect or part of Buddhism. Each person has their own unique purpose and their own unique path in life because we all have our own unique qualities, way that we were raised. Like there's no one in this world that is exactly like us and at this exact time. So really being able to live that out to the fullest becomes very empowering once you kind of really start to chant that way. Yeah, so I kept chanting day after day. I finally decided being told that this is my life and started to really feel that way. Then I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I will go. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just grabbed like a few days clothes in a small suitcase and oh I gosh. came to US. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember the day I landed to the airport with that small suitcase, <laughs> pretty much nothing with me. But I was so happy. Wow. I felt like many chains attached to me was not there anymore. I could see, although I was in the airport, like I could see a wide path opening up ahead of me. Yeah, and... I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to be afraid of. Wow. <laughs> Let's go, Heidi. Yes. <laughs> wow. That is so bold and so courageous. It's kind of wild to think about like, yeah, you going from someone who was really just like living your life for others to like totally empowered, okay, I'm just gonna follow my dreams and have the courage to do that is amazing. I don't think that I could do that at all. <laughs> I'm way too afraid. When you came to the US, were you like going to school? Were you working? Did you have a plan? Yeah, not a quite plan, but <laughs> yeah, because my health condition was, you know, not good after mm. torturing myself so much in a harsh environment. I have a aunt living in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, who practiced this Buddhism too because my mother shared with her. She's very supportive and even I was all the way far away in Japan, you know, she always cared about me. I really think so on behalf of my mother. So, you know, she said, please come here and rest or take time to really think how you want to live your life, no matter how long it takes. Please come. Yeah, I stay with my aunt for a short time. And, you know, I was again chanting with her walking on a beach. My health condition got much better in a short time. And yeah, I was ready to work again. So I found a new job in New Jersey. I moved there. I didn't have any family member or friends. So again, my aunt said, Heidi, that's crazy. <laughs> just stay with us. Like, why, would you, why would you just like, you know, jump into an environment you have no knowledge of. But yeah, Heidi back then was just nothing to be afraid of. So 
I yeah, I started a new chapter there. Yes. Wow. I can like almost feel like the freedom that you must have felt and the kind of feeling so liberated and free. Yeah, it was such a sudden move. And yeah, actually, when I left Japan, it was a time I was took some time off from work. And I wasn't sure actually whether I'm gonna go back to the same workplace. So I didn't go around and say bye to everyone. So pretty much no one knew. Yeah, including my father, actually, which was not a good thing to do as a daughter. I'm pretty sure my father was heartbroken learning that, you know, your daughter just went to the other side of the world. Like, I, I was just pushed to the edge and um, it just happened to be that way. But yes, some of my friends learned that Heidi left Japan without saying anything. Some of the close friends were even upset. When you got to the U.S. and you were away from your father and your brother and your grandma, what was that distance like from your family? The physical distance pretty much became the actual distance. Yeah, I was just so much in pain. At that time, I was carrying some anger too. So we didn't communicate for a long time. I think that a lot of times many people understandably want to create that distance. And sometimes we do need to, right? As we chant, we bring out the wisdom, courage, and compassion from our lives. And maybe we can see, wow, this relationship is just like really harming <laughs> both of us. So as you had that distance, how was that feeling? Did you ever want to like change that or did you feel like, okay, this is good? Yes, I thought that, you know, this is good. I'm going to live my life free from any pain I had or any negative feeling. But even you go to a new environment you yourself is the same person. So you carry everything with you, even you go to a different place. Even I started a new chapter, I actually still not that aware of it, but I still suffered deeply inside me, very much, you know, with my negative feeling toward my father, especially. That will come up, for example, as like having a really, really bad nightmare and, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. So it was always there. Recently, I read a quote from Nelson Mandela. He said that resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. When I read that, that was exactly describing what was happening to me. Of course, my father is not enemy, he's family, but at that time, it was exactly like I was drinking poison, not knowingly. So yeah, it was really not easy having that feeling or realizing that I still had that. I started to chant first to be able to let go of my negative feelings toward him, to be able to, you know, chant for 
his happiness because I was the one who was suffering a lot with this feeling, actually. I really challenged myself to chant that way, but really not easy. I think I was chanting it that way, yeah, for more than four years. Yes. Wow. And did anything like in that time shift for you? Yes. Little by little, really not easy. Four years passed and it was last year in June. I was chanting a lot. I felt like there's like a wall in front of me, kind of like stopping myself to break through something in my life. Then I realized that I had a fear actually to confront or even have a dialogue with my father. Negative feelings, but also I realized there is a fear inside me. And then it was the day before my father's birthday. Japan has a time difference and it was already his birthday in Japan. I thought, you know what? If I'm don't reach out to my father now, then when am I going to do it? It was a little scary, but you know, I brought up courage and I called my father. I think like my hand was a little sweaty because I was so nervous. And of course, my father was so surprised. You wouldn't expect your daughter suddenly call you after years, but We could talk about many things, catching up about so many things, including, you know, how it was during pandemic. So we talked over an hour. For me, I really broke that wall or like something stopping myself from moving forward. Wow. I know exactly that feeling of like there's this wall of something that's holding me back. And I can't figure out what it is. But as we chant, it becomes clearer and we can bring out the courage to really, like you said, break down that wall. That must have been so (laughs) scary. (laughs) I'm sure there are people right now that have like estranged family members that they can't even imagine having a phone call with them, you know, haven't talked for years. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's really encouraging to see like that it is possible to bring that courage out of your life. It sounds like as you started to really chant about listening to yourself and living for your own life, and you had this kind of liberated feeling that then that was like a shift that because that shift took place, then you could also kind of liberate yourself from this other feeling you know, with your father. So as like things were happening or after this phone call and you'd been chanting about your family, were you like chanting or thinking about your mother at all during this? Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, I didn't really even have like room to think about or feel sadness actually after she passed away because, you know, my environment at home was just challenging, very difficult. So pretty much I didn't have time to stay in sadness or feel that. I think I put all of my emotion into a box, just put it in closet. But yeah, since I came to US, 
I started to think, you know, oh, how was it for, you know, my mother living in New York by herself, practicing? And I feel like just recently, like these past few years, I started to learn how much compassion and strong determination she had as a base of her life and always chant for the happiness of everyone around her. And I somehow brought from Japan like few card or memo my mother had as you know she wrote down like what she was chanting for. I was reading she was chanting for everyone in the family, you know, their happiness, health. I feel like I'm starting to learn about her. <laughs> One example will be about my grandmother. My grandmother was strongly opposed to this practice, and sometimes I couldn't even chant at home. So I would say, like, I'm going to a library and then join some meeting or go to another Buddhist friend and chant because I just needed to do so to be able to move forward in my life. That much, you know, she was so strict. She was so strict to herself and also others too. But, you know, she was carrying a lot of anger and frustration. Many people actually thought that, oh, like Heidi's grandmother, it will be very difficult to see or even imagine her to change. But 10 years after my mother passed away, I was in college, and then one day she told me, Heidi, I have something to tell you. But she said, you know, it's secret. I'm just telling to you. So, of course, not a good news sounds like. I said, oh my God, what are you going to tell me? She said, actually, during the day, I started chanting Namyo Horenge Kyo. And yes, so my eyes jumped. Because almost no one expected that to happen. Yeah, she started practicing at the age of 80 years old. From that point, she lived her last few years. You know, she transformed her sadness, anger, any resentment she had for the past 80 years of her life. Somehow, like her face completely changed. You know, she started to smile more. She looked happy and saying thank you to people around her. Yeah, she transformed so many things. And back to my mother, I found out later that my mother was always chanting with deep conviction that someday my grandmother will start this practice and will become happy. I don't know how much compassion my mother had, like it's just beyond imagination because, you know, my mother was not treated that nice from my grandmother. You know, different culture, there was language barrier, so very difficult relationship. But my mother had always that hope and conviction, yeah, was always there. Even it was after my mother passed away, in this lifetime, her prayer became a reality. That was, you know, one thing I learned about my mother's strong conviction. <laughs> yes. Wow. She was chanting about this. And even though it was after she passed away, that still 
manifested, you know, because we talk about in Buddhism, the simultaneity of cause and effect, because we believe in this law of cause and effect. So as soon as you make a cause by chanting nam myoho denge kyo, the effect is in the universe. Even if it doesn't like manifest in our environment right away, it still exists. So although your mom has passed, you're really showing that your mom's life really continues on through your own life, which is so beautiful. I'm wondering like if anything else has happened with your dad after moving to the U.S. I know you had that phone call on his birthday. After that, did you guys communicate anymore? Yeah, we started to communicate like now and then. But still not like a huge change. And I kept chanting. I had a new determination this year. Yeah, 2023. One of my goal was to be able to go back to Japan to have a peaceful dialogue with my father. This year in July, I was able to go to Japan as a business trip, which I'm so grateful since the flight ticket in summertime is not reasonable at all. If it was not for work, probably I couldn't make that trip. So, yeah. But then I was a little bit nervous to see my father after such a long time, you know, having five, more than five years as a complete blank. But this time, you know, I felt like I was ready to have a conversation, you know, face to face, sincerely with compassion. And I really felt like, I didn't have any, you know, resentment I used to have or any negative feelings, actually. So we could have a peaceful dialogue. We could spend time together, peaceful time, actually. I really saw his attitude has changed, too. He didn't judge anything and he listened to me and just simply showed respect and care to whatever I was challenging for in my life. Yeah, I was just so relieved. We could also chant Nami Horenge Kyo together. Maybe it was after a long time for my father. I was so relieved and I'm confident that my mother was watching and smiling too. That really showed me that, you know, whatever time it takes, all of, you know, our sincere, like, passion or hope to, you know, be able to change, you know, our relationship or just simply care about the other person does reaches their heart and nothing is wasted. The day when I was leaving Japan, he came to see me off at the airport and he gave me a hug and he said, Heidi, I'm so happy to see how much you grew and became a strong person. Thank you for everything you have done for me. And I will be cheering for you, even I'm far away. And then he hugged me. I just really couldn't believe that was coming out from my father's mouth. I will continue to always care for his health. And now we message more often, like send pictures of dogs or, you know, like nature, even small thing. Yeah, we communicate more often now. That is so remarkable. Like, seems like this just totally not possible outcome. (laughs) Especially like for him to be able to communicate all of those um, things to you is just really 
beautiful. It's so amazing. <laughs> yes. And I don't have any nightmare. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, actually, when you said that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, when there are like stressful kind of people on my mind or situations on my mind, even if they're not in my immediate environment, I will totally have nightmares about them. So I think having no more nightmares is really saying something about where your mental space is at now with this relationship. Yes. So, you know, we're getting to the end. So I've got just a couple more questions. So as someone who really used to live your life based on others' opinions or what they wanted from you. Do you now have any big dreams for yourself that you're fighting for that are based just living on, uh, living true to yourself? Yeah, I have a dream. Now at my workplace, I'm trying to be like a bridge between, you know, people who have different values or culture that is between Japan and US because I do translation to really bring people closer and to remove the gap between people who think differently or, you know, just have different values. But in future, I want to do that in a bigger scale. Yeah, half of the reason I came to U.S. was actually to go back to a graduate school. So I'm planning to apply to a graduate school very soon. And yeah, my long-term dream is to work in a field of humanitarian aid. I really want to be able to, you know, support in any way for people who are suffering the most in the world today. So that's my dream. To like now have all of these clear like dreams and sense of purpose for yourself is like such a proof of like how powerful this Buddhism is. So to finish up, I'm wondering if you have any advice for someone who is encouraged by your story and wants to start practicing. What I want to share is that regardless of how your life has been so far, we can always start from this moment into a bright future, even if we don't feel that way. So as long as we don't give up and continue to challenge ourselves each day based on this practice of chanting Namyoho Renge Kyo, we can transform our lives in a way that is beyond our imagination. I want to share one passage from Daisaku Ikeda if it's okay. He says, no matter what the circumstances, you should never concede defeat. Never conclude that you have reached a dead end, that everything is finished. You possess a glorious future. We must always have the spirit to begin anew from this moment to initiate a new struggle each day. As I prepared for today's episode and listened to Heidi's story again and again, I never stopped feeling amazed by her honesty and courage. And at the risk of sounding overly sentimental, I kind of feel like we got to know her mother too. By hearing Heidi talk about her mother and the people in her life who loved her mother, it's clear that her mom's life is still very present. There's a book series by Daisaku Ikeda called The Wisdom of the Lotus Sutra, where he discusses with other practitioners the many chapters of the Lotus Sutra, bringing them to the 21st century for us. 
In the fourth volume, he discusses the lifespan chapter and the eternity of universal life. In it, one of his dialogue partners shares about his son's death and how through living his life on behalf of his son, he feels that his son has been reborn. In response, Daisakliketa says, Buddhism teaches the principle of the oneness of parent and child. You are giving many people hope by discussing the Lotus Sutra and sharing your personal perspective on the eternity of life. Through these efforts, your son is alive. You and your son are one. Whether he is in the phase of life or the phase of death, your son, because of the oneness of parent and child, fully shares the benefit of your efforts. Life is long and it is not all clear skies. There are many rainy days and days of fierce wind. But no matter what happens, as long as we maintain our faith, in the end, everything that happens will turn into benefit. We have to live out our lives with firm belief in the eternity of life. Through our victory in this life, we show proof of life's eternity. This is the teaching of the Lotus Sutra and of the Lifespan chapter. No matter what happens, we have to continue living. We have to survive. This is the spirit of the Lifespan chapter. And Heidi is really illustrating this principle with her life. Her mother's life continues on through Heidi's life. And there's really so much more to dig into on the Buddhist perspective of life and death. So if you're curious and want to study more, we'll leave some book recommendations in the show notes for today's episode. For next week's episode, we're returning to our weekly listener question. And we want to know what impossible dream you have for 2024. And if you'd like to get connected to a local Buddhist community in your area, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.